Hello and welcome back to What Would Jeevas Do? This is episode two, coming at you from New York City. I'm your host, Nick Jeevas, and what a friend you have in me. For episode two, I didn't want to go too far off the path. I wanted to stick with our theme from episode one. We had Matt Lewis from CNN and the Daily Beast on. And Matt's a very spiritual guy as are a lot of my mentors and a lot of the people that I want to bring on the show. So for episode two, I wanted to bring on someone that that I always look to for advice and that never steered me wrong and always gave me good wisdom because that's the point of the show, to seek out some answers, to talk to people who are masters of their craft and see what they have to say about life. And keeping that in mind, I chose Father Thomas Burns, known by me affectionately as Father Tom. He was a priest at the school where I went to elementary school at St. Stephen's in Warwick, New York. Later became a pastor at the neighboring church in Monroe, New York, Sacred Heart. And he was the closest thing to Jesus that I had ever experienced or met in my entire life. The man kept calm in every scenario. He was welcoming of all beliefs and faiths and lifestyles. He had a strong conviction in his faith and a love that radiated out of him in a way that I've yet to this day experienced. He could instantly make me feel better about life, about being me. I mean, my dog died once, and I got to tell you, it was a sad story. I Not only did my dog pass away somewhat unexpectedly, but I was in the middle of recovering from a broken back, and then while digging the hole to bury the poor dog outside near the willow tree, I got bit by a tick and got Lyme disease. Who did I call? I called Father Tom. And when he spoke to me, you would think I was inconsolable. You would think there was nothing out there that could make me feel better about that situation. And yet, After speaking to him for 10 or 15 minutes, I hung up the phone and it felt as if he had lifted 500 pounds of dead weight off of my back and thrown it onto the ground. All the while, calm, steady, loving, he truly did inspire by example. Everybody loved him. This guy was a rock star. I was an altar server at the school and... When we would do mass together, we'd come out of the changing room and the guy just got swarmed. All ages, all types, all shapes and sizes and types of people coming up to him, if only for a glimpse, if only to just pat him on the back and say, great homily. He took our faith seriously. I've walked out of masses sometimes where the priest mailed in the homily and it's completely changed my perspective on what it should have been. But when I'd walk out of Masses that he did, with actual, thoughtful, deep homilies, I felt as if I was secure in my place in the world. Nay, in the cosmos. That's the kind of man Tom Burns is. Never selfish, always giving. And he talked to us about his decision to become a priest his calling. 
why he did it, more importantly, how he did it, how he allowed himself to surrender to God and to fate, knowing that there was a certain place in the world where he belonged and that he was going to get there or or die trying. And he spoke of a freedom that comes when you surrender yourself over to God. My mother, my mother, very Irish Catholic, and her mother, my grandmother, became a Carmelite nun after her husband passed away. So my grandmother had 12 children. Her husband passed away. She became a cloistered nun, where she remains to this day, I might add. Point being, though, one of her 12 children, my mother, her oldest daughter, used to always say to me and my siblings, let go and let God. And I've seen people come back to tell my mother, thank you for that advice, Judy. I saw it not just two weeks ago. An old friend of ours had been in a rut, but she turned it around, has her own business. She's happy, happily married with children. And she said to my mother, thank you. I never knew the power in those words and in the act of just letting go of our worries and our fears and our anxieties and the stress that we put on ourselves and knowing that there is a plan. That so long as you put the effort in and you understand that humility and love and peace are not just a tagline or buzzwords, but a way of life, that you will find rest. You will find salvation and redemption. And we're going to do it together. And we're going to start with this podcast. Now, we talked for quite a while on this one. It might even be a little longer than the first one, but I must say, it's worth it. The wisdom that Father Tom threw down here, it's eternal. Classical, in a sense, meaning that there is no generation that will hear this and not be able to use it. These are timeless lessons that anyone, faithful or not, mind you, can use in their life to find peace. And what's our goal here, if not to find some sense of solace, harmony, and peace? So without further ado, my friend, mentor, pastor, the man in black, Father Tom Burns. Let's take a listen. Father Tom, thanks for coming on and sharing your story with us. Really appreciate it. Uh, no problem, Nick. A pleasure to do that for you. Now, you uh, you went to college at University of Scranton. You were at uh, St. Joseph's Seminary in Dunwoody, which is an amazing academic institution for priests. And he was my priest at St. Stephen's, where I grew up in Warwick, New York. And he later rose up and became a pastor at Sacred Heart in a neighboring town of Monroe. And he's currently uh, stationed at St. Anthony's, uh, St. Anthony of Padua in West Harrison, New York. And uh, I got to say, I I got to ask you, and I think listeners will also like to know, you were always so calm and relaxed, even in dealing with such heavy topics as religion, faith, life. I got to ask you, how did you keep your cool the way you did? I could be, yeah, good for you, Nick. You, you noticed that, huh? <laughs> um, that's good. Um, 
But I think, you know, most of the time at crisis moments, um, people come to see about all kinds of things could be concessions, spiritual directions. Uh, people have questions in class. As you remember, like I've known you since second grade. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Those ones have some really good questions in class. Um, <laughs> in, in all those moments, you're just very conscious of the presence of our Lord in those moments. Uh, very con- I am very conscious of the Holy Spirit uh, working through me in those moments. Um, I think a lot of because of being a good listener, listening to the person who has the question or listening to the person who has the problem or issue, but also at the same time listening to uh, the voice of God. Not he's speaking out loud to me. That would be extraordinary. That would be another podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> a whole other episode. A whole other A whole other episode. Uh, but just interiorly, you become, as you become, as you enter into, as you pray, you know, regularly, which is what I do, become more aware of the presence of God in your life. Um, becomes a very real awareness. That awareness comes not just when you're stopping to pray, but all the time. In other words, in the midst of everything, I find myself being very conscious of, okay, Lord, you know, here we are. And so it's myself and the other person, let's say, in spiritual direction or crisis moment, together listening to the Holy Spirit, together listening to, to Christ, guiding us in that moment. It's funny, if somebody has a new priest in your parish of St. Stephen's, um, I was very overwhelmed with, oh my goodness, you know, people may be going to confession, it could be as old as my grandfather, people coming with all these problems, like, I don't have all these answers. But after a while, I realized I don't have to have the answers. I have to be present as a priest and just to listen and just to give, you know, what I have, what the Lord gives me at that moment. So I stopped worrying after a while, just to be where I'm supposed to be, doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And he did admit that I don't know something or at that moment, maybe God just wants me to be present with what I have to offer in that at that time. So after a while, you become very relaxed, very peaceful, very calm. You know, God um, never lets us down as long as we're tuning in, you know, as people are doing to your podcast right now. <laughs> I hope so. And you were young at the time. <laughs> you weren't that much older than I am probably right now. You were in your late 20s, I think, when you started yeah, actually, at our parish. Once. You're right. I was, let's see. Yeah, I was uh, I just turned uh, just turned twenty. I was twenty eight when I was ordained. So I just turned twenty nine when I started. Twenty nine, man. I mean, yeah, twenty nine years old. Yeah. Did you feel? Did you feel like you said you felt a little bit of that pressure? But did did it feel like you were you had to become this shepherd all of a sudden? And did you ever feel mm-hmm. not ridiculous, but kind of silly trying to tell someone that was fifty and that was married? you know, with kids and this life, you know, you, you were giving them advice in essence. Did it ever feel weird or do you always feel that peace and that wisdom kind of just flow through you and, you know, you, you knew, you still knew what to say, even though you were so young? No, good, good for you. Uh, in the beginning, well, I tell you, so back and forth, sometimes I did. Um, but after a while, I, I realized it's, it's bigger than me. It's bigger than me. Actually, very humble, very humbling because, you know, someone who is, well, I'm going to be 50 now, but so it's not really old. <laughs> I don't believe Somebody that. who is 50, <laughs> exactly, uh, 50 or, or 75, whatever it is, how humbling that someone would come and say, hey, Father, can I talk to you? Knowing they have like twice the amount of experience I have in terms of age or life, whatever. Um, but I tell you, I'm Monsignor, uh, Monsignor Cargan, actually, who was um, the pastor emeritus who was in the rectory at the time. Good man. St. Stephen's. Come up, yeah, absolutely. Come up, my mentor. We would have our Friday dinners and I'd always say, okay, Monsignor, what are we doing with the homily this weekend? It was a thousand questions for him. So one day I was sharing with him how, I said, my goodness, you know, people could be my grandfather coming to confession to talk to me and, you know, and, and want my answers or I said, it could be very overwhelming. And he said, no, 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 they're not coming to see you. 
they're coming to see Christ. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, so it it was bigger than me and the one working through me. You know, I, I got to be its instrument. So that really relaxed me. So at the beginning, you know, I was so conscious of having the answers of what if I don't. But just the learning, the humility of, I mean, I don't have all the answers. I'm, God didn't choose me to be his priest. I'm the smartest, the fastest, the holiest. People that, people could out-preach me, you know, greater, more virtuous than I am and, and smarter. That's the whole point. It's, it's not about me. It, it's about Christ, allowing Christ's work through me. And when I really own that, what a difference it makes. Oh. It's just, uh, I don't know if you remember Father Michael Judge. He was the uh, chaplain of the, the city fire department before he died in 9-11, one of the first responders, chaplain, and mm-hmm. one of the first ones to die. But long story short, I met him a few years earlier when I became the fire chaplain in Warwick. And I said to him, hey, you're, you're the expert. I'm just starting out here. What do you, what do, you, uh, what do, you do as a fire chaplain? Well, eighty-five percent is showing up. Just showing up, <laughs> nice. you know. And that's Surprise so true. Works. I never forgot those words. Absolutely, just show up. And God takes care of the rest. I'd be prepared. You know, you do your best to prepare for these things. You know, as they told us in the seminary. You know, the, the work of the Holy Spirit is in the preparation prior to these things. But you know, and then you just my mom would say, you, you do your best, and then the time comes, God does the rest. Awesome. The wisdom of mom and Father Michael Judge. <laughs> always, always, always helpful. I find my mother's wisdom, and, and of course your wisdom. So you're you're my uh, Father Judge. But I, you know, I remember being in second grade. I think it was either it may have even been. I'm trying to remember back. It was 2001. Obviously, it was 9/11. Actually, I think we might have been in fourth grade. And I remember yeah. you were a priest at at the school at that time, and they pulled us all out of class. And we didn't know what was going on. And uh, as you had mentioned, New York State, our town, a lot of firemen died. A lot of policemen died. Yeah. We, we got hit hard uh, on 9-11. I mean, everybody I did. The, the whole country did. But we were, you know, that hit us close to home. <laughs> yeah. And when they pulled us in there, I don't remember your homily verbatim, but I remember you, even at that age, you didn't talk down to us. You respected us enough to realize that we knew about death, and we knew a few more things about life than we were giving credit for. And you said that out of the bad can come something good. Mm-hmm. And that was your message. And I got to say, I, I it's rare today because, you know, I, I go to church. I, I see, you know, kids in Catholic schools, the ones that are still open anyway. And yeah. uh, there seems to be a sense of let's tell them a cartoon Let's tell them a fairy tale. Let's let's paint colors on the story. Let's let's dumb it down. You never did that. Do you do you sense that is happening today with you know in general with our faith that we're not being honest with young people uh, about the the nitty gritty of, of what it means to be Catholic and Christian? You know, I think it's a lot of the, what we're leaving out. You know, or um, you know, uh, I have to reflect on that a little bit more as far as you know. In general, but um, that I grew up with and what I've been using is uh, a simple one: just be real, be mm-hmm. real, and age appropriate. Um, I think it's by not ex- not explaining. We're, kids are not stupid. <laughs> children, <laughs> not separated children, they know. I mean, it's not. I mean, obviously, you know, to. Um, 9-11 and the serious impact of all that, the goal is to bring peace to whether it's an adult or a child, to bring peace. Because it's not by hiding facts or, you know, sugarcoating, by making something up or lying, you know, by misrepresenting the truth. Peace doesn't come from any of that. That's that's just 
uh, holding off the inevitable, sometimes making it worse. Um, peace comes from uh, bringing the truth with charity and with um, an attentiveness to, you know, the age, you know, the circumstances, the setting, everything. It's how the really the big thing is not just smacking people over the head with Bibles. <laughs> that really the way is doesn't work. Um, you know, not at all. Not actually, it's a huge turnoff. It's not the way Christ did either. It's more the spirit of Pope Francis. who says, you know, have a cup of coffee with someone first. You know, <laughs> you know, connect, connect heart to heart. You know, the people recognize the, the 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 goodness of Christ in you, the kindness of Christ in you, the compassion of Christ. Live the message of the gospel first. You know, it's all kind of intertwined. Live it first, and people are more open to say, you know, what, maybe there's something to what you're saying. I, and as far as delivering difficult news or dealing with difficult terms and circumstances. And whatever it is, it's kind of the same approach. We're to to be the be the peace, you know, um, to to show to be calm, to to be the presence of Christ in those moments. Not so much what we say, it's just how we are in that moment in a real way, not not a facade. I think mm-hmm. that's probably what you remember, you can remember. You remember my words, but I think you're probably more in tune with the presence. You know, like wow, he's not just saying this. Other times, calm. <laughs> he's peaceful. Yeah, in other words, he means it. It, it's a matter of, exactly, it's a matter of proving how we are. A lot of times, you just understand, you know, where, wow, what are you feeling? You know, share what you're, share what you're going through. That's compassion, suffering with. I think it's a lot of people just to deal with their own pains and hurts and sufferings, um, you know, with you. And again, it's not about solutions, it's about journeying with. How many times a kid wakes up from a nightmare and mom and dad comes running in the room? He's just holding a hand. <laughs> you know, we, we can't, someone who has cancer in the hospital and suffering, someone goes to their bedside or myself as a priest, they know that the person can't cure them, but that's not what it's really all about, the cure or the solution. It's about the presence. You know, thank you for walking through this with me. And that's what we remember. You were there. You showed up. You were present. You know, I think one time as a deacon, uh, Deacon George Stewart, actually one of my mentors as I was uh, a seminarian over at St. Columbus, Hopewell Junction, I'll never forget him, but he, he was talking, we went to the cemetery once and a uh, tough funeral. And so I was talking to him and I said, Hey, what do you say to people in a circumstance like this? He goes, most time people are going to forget your words, but they're going to remember, you know, father so-and-so don't even remember his name or deacon so-and-so was there <laughs> or somebody representing the church or Christ was there. That's what people remember. It's the encounter, the experience. So I think that's, I think, um, Maybe that's the piece you're looking at when it comes to maybe what's missing, you know, in a lot of places sometimes. We sometimes think that peace and healing is going to come from leaving stuff out. I think it's dealing with it directly, you know, but again, it's how we deal with it. You know, as I hope joke, that speaks to kind of what you're asking. Of course. I mean, that's what I'm I, – it's hard to know, you know, what, what we can do as Christians and Catholics, especially when you're fighting. I mean, you brought up cancer. There are certain forces that – we can't touch. We can't really make a dent on. We can try. Yeah. And that kind of brings you to what I was thinking about and, and speaking with you the other day about, uh, as a joke, I'll say some things like, you know, what a friend you have in Jeevas, based on, of course, the, the expression, yeah. <laughs> what a friend you have in Jesus. And yeah. I think I think people think that's a cliche, but not not several weeks ago, I finally, I think, figured out what that meant. And to me, mm-hmm. and, and I'd like your opinion on it before we jump into your, your story, I mean, it just means not treating it so much God as a vending machine or even as this principle that's going to scold you because you relate to class. It really is turning 
to the to your side, not even looking up at the ceiling or up at the sky, acting as if he's right there next to you, and yeah. not you know, Lord help me. It's even how would you ask your best friend to help you? You'd say, Hey, can you help me? And there, there's yeah. kind of a different tact you take when you think of it as a best friend instead of an entity or a boss. You know, what do you think about that? Yeah, um, yeah, great, great insight. You know, um, I think a lot of times today, um, you know, religion can become in a lot of people's minds, you know, um, routines, you know, rituals without meaning. Um, I think uh, even the, the concept of, of God, you know, be, becomes a concept and not a reality of a person. You know, Jesus, like he's a vending machine image there, you know, it's back up so he can run to you when you're sick, you know, need something, you check in once or twice a year, you know, at important times, over your life, Christmas, Easter. Um, that doesn't really, it's like a friendship. Um, sometimes God, no more, some, not to blame anybody, no judgments here, just uh, people's experience of faith in God. It, um it's more like a philosophical concept, you know, an abstract notion of some kind. But what a difference it makes when, you know, part of my, you know, growth in faith too, particularly at college, my more of a science mind, I was ready to be a high school physics teacher, but um, maybe more, more logical and you know, prove it God type of a thing. But what helped me to really embrace the reality of the existence of God and was this very concept you're talking about now, friendship. You know, that God is a father, God is a person, you know, Jesus as my brother. You know, and I have five younger brothers. I mean, imagine one of my brothers, you know, being crucified for me. Wow, I'm never going to forget that. It's going to impact yeah. my life forever. I'll live for my brother. <laughs> Make sure his life wasn't given in vain. Like, this happy Veterans Day, you know. we so yes. conscious of those who are, you know, who have laid down their lives, you know. Um, I don't want that gift to go to waste. So I'm going to make sure I use every ounce of my, <laughs> every second of my life, you know, out of respect for those who have given theirs for mine. So that's Christ. And so you're right. As you see him as a friend, it becomes about relationship. It's not just about the head. You know, it's not just about logic and reason. It's about the heart. You know, why do we do anything for somebody? Rarely because it's logical. (laughs) I think it's mostly because you're my friend or, you know, there's just the love for another person because you're another human being. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yes, uh, definitely definitely a major, major impact. (laughs) It transcends. It's, it's more than just a wooden effigy on a cross when it's your friend. And you can only imagine how people in the moment felt that, that followed Jesus and, and saw him go through that. But in that in that vein, I'd like to ask you now what we do on the show, of course, and you know, our last our first couple episodes had the same format. We, we ask our guests about a, a kind of a pivotal moment in their life and where they had to make a decision or they had to make a choice that reflected who they are and. Um, you have a, sto- a story that I think fits perfectly, and I'd like to let you take it away and, and share with us sure. that moment. Sure. Yeah, uh, no no lightning bolts or messages in the sky, or, <laughs> which, um, you know, when you're growing up, I think um, maybe a lot of people pray. I know I did. God, appear to me now, and I'll do whatever you want, or, you know, put this big sign in the sky, especially when it comes to making decisions in life. Um, I'm, I guess we, we wish it when we were growing up, and I'm glad it never happened that way. Because it makes me more relatable. In other words, the, the ordinary ways that God works the day to day. So for me, um, you know, going to college, went to the University of Grant, as you may have mentioned earlier, because mm-hmm. um, I was set to be a high school physics major, and that was a good time in my life because it made me. So I actually went to Scranton because it's a Catholic university, and I had thoughts of becoming perhaps maybe a priest. You know, as kind of background, but I definitely know I wanted to teach, and I love science and. 
and had a good philosophy education there as well and um, theology. And so that, that whole mix was good because it made me own my faith and make it beyond the head and, and really own it and have deeper conviction. And so that may be a story for other podcasts, but that's not really the, the, the decision-making. Um, the um, decision really came in the beginning, right after when I was graduating college, I guess it's a typical time um, in terms of, okay, what am I going to do with my life? Do I teach? You know, which I couldn't wait to jump in at a high school, a job teaching high school or line, lined up in Pennsylvania. Um, go to grad school or the seminary. So I applied to all. The job was ready to go. Um, and the grad school wasn't too serious about it, but you know, I could have pursued it. And then, but the, uh, the seminary also accepted me. It's like, all right, what do I do? So long story short, let me check out my vocation as a priest. I was pretty sure about it. So then, uh, so each year is just more and more of a conviction about, yeah, this is what God wants me to do. This is what God wants me to do. Um, but the pivotal moment where I think we can focus our conversation today, if you wish, but feel free to ask questions to expound on any piece that you wish. Oh, I will. Um, uh, yeah, how long we've out here because it benefits somebody um, as far as decision making. But actually, we're probably three years, uh, maybe a year, a year and a half, maybe two years to go in the seminary before ordination. It was a seven year journey after college. So it's a big commitment in terms of preparation. Yeah. And so, probably within my fifth year, maybe six years, hard to remember now as I get older. Um, the I remember being in my room at the seminary. Is kind of coming down to the pike here, you know, in a year, in a year and a half, you, you could be, you're going to be ordained a priest. Do you want to do this? And it was an interesting moment. Like, wow. It makes you question everything because it's a huge commitment. Marriage, priesthood, they're two amazing choices. They're both wonderful lives to live, like two flavors of ice cream, chocolate, vanilla, they're both, they're both wonderful. Mm. But the question is, like, which one should I choose? And I'm glad. I mean, I'm glad that I, I dove into this because not just, oh, I'm going to do this, see what happens. It took a lifetime commitment. You take your time and figure it out. So I remember wrestling with it, and it came down to this in terms of how to make a, a good decision about something. It came down to saying to God, I, and, and not just with my head, with my heart, truly believing and owning these words, I only want to do what you want me to do. Now that I remember to this day the peace I had following that. Um, the the prayer came from the perspective of at that point, you know, in my life, I got not going to know God pretty well, you know, and had a real appreciation for what He had done for me. And I can even feel it now as I'm talking to you, the real sense of Him asking me, Tom, I want you to go and let them know how much I love them. But first, you had to show that to me. And then when I own that, it's like, there's nothing else I wanted to do than go and be that priest to that person in this unique way. Because we're all called to go out and let the world know how much every Christian was out there and let the world know how much Christ loves them and what he did for, for them. You know, but to do that specifically as a priest, you know, it was that my whole life, every aspect of my life, uh, proclaiming that message. It was conviction there and peace because at that total surrender. Say, God, if you want me to be a priest, I'm here. If you want me to leave and be married, hey, get me kicked out of the seminary, so to speak. <laughs> um, 
so it was like a freedom. Like it wasn't on me anymore. It wasn't on me. Like I had truly done my very best, discerning it, preparing for it. There's nothing more really on my end that I could have done. And that was the fact that I was willing to walk away if God wanted me to, to, it gave me a sense of freedom and peace, knowing that I'm not doing this for me. It was so important in that moment to know I am not doing this for me. I mean, how, how did, when were you just deciding, finally start thinking about, well, I have to surrender to God, you know? Was it abrupt? Did it kind of take years to lead up to that? I think there's a couple of things, actually. Um, I think in the beginning, when you start in the seminary, uh, to be specific, regarding the vocation, you're you're kind of sure you want to, and your your eyes and ears are open, you're learning, you're exploring, you're taking it in, you know, just each year, you're just growing in an awareness of what the vocation's all about, just you get into those routines. You're, you're kind of trying it all on and, and being formed. And, um, and so, yeah, you, you do think about it once in a while in those prior years. Um, that's been my experience, but I think part of it, and I think this is typical. Um, you come close to like, we said cold feet, but I wasn't like mm-hmm. knocking at the door. It wasn't the day before ordination, but um, it's not too uncommon because the reality of, okay, I think that's why at that moment it was okay. You know, now it's time. I think in the back of my mind throughout the seminary, there's always that reminder once in a while, is this for me or, you know, maybe maybe I should leave and or, you know, where the consequence of that be. Those things are there, but never in a heavy way because I really enjoyed what I was doing. I was I really passionate about what I was doing, what the future was going to hold as a priest. So I never really had that sense of, I don't think this is for me. I can't say I ever had that. Which is more of a given grace to do it, though. Did you feel like you were given a special ability to not stray or to not leave? I think I was given the grace in those moments when Mm. you know it was more challenging to uh, to surrender myself, you know, to whatever God wanted in that moment. The grace to the grace to persevere, to believe that yeah, there was a call here, um, where this is really special. This is something that. You know, you just don't walk away from lightly. Um, it's what it's you were definitely made for. Grace at work. What's up? It's what you were made for. Yes, yes. Yeah, and also availing myself of, you know, some very good priests. I can think of one, uh, Monsignor John Farley, was the spiritual director at the time. Wow, a, a real father and somebody you could just open up to and, you know, yeah, thank you, good, good formators and, you know, people you could, even a priest in my hometown, Father Jim Corrine, who's now in heaven, if he's not, I'm in really big trouble. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Me too, then. <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, people where um, you could go to and share these things with, it, you know, um, you, you grow into it and say, listen, i got some questions. Or how do I know this is for me? It's you know, people who guide you along the way. Not, not arm twisters. I'm really very grateful that these were priests who really listened, who only wanted God's will for me, not my will or their will, what they thought should happen. Kind of like I was talking to you earlier, just the sense of being open to the spirit in those moments and kind of just guiding, not twisting arms. And that was so helpful because it allowed me to journey, you know, with Christ to, to seek him out, to really listen. I mean, he could have sent me a letter from heaven that was glowing from heaven to say, read this letter, this is what you're going to be. But he didn't do that, obviously, because there's something more, something about the journey, kind of owning this. I think God's more like a farmer. He plants seeds and he enjoys the you know the process and get a lot out of it. So it really uh, is amazing. Really is amazing mm-hmm. how life unfolds in front of us and how we, mm-hmm. like you said, if we're just open, just open to it, 
the people we can meet, the adventures we can have, we, we can help each other create a universe of infinite possibilities. Yeah, and I like to talk, use the word unfold. I love that word because it does fit the whole farming. That's <laughs> you know, like how it is, on, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really long, it, like, it like a journey, exactly. It's so yeah. long that it's you, you kind of have to sit back and watch it kind of roll out in front of you. And, a- absolutely, absolutely. And like God is saying, hey, just let me unfold the gift for you. You know, yeah, just let me help run away from it. Exactly. Let me help you, you know, and, and uh, when you look at it that way, it really is people, they think it's a tagline. I don't think they dig deep enough when the words, you know, knowing Jesus, when the priest says, uh, you should, brothers and sisters, you should know Christ. It's, they, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think they understand what that means. Correct. We, we think right about the head, you know, I got to know the facts. If you go into a eighth grade, seventh, sixth grade class, it's all right, tell me about Jesus. You're going to go right to exactly. That's not God. Know, and, right. I mean, you got to know the facts, of course. Of course. Not, um, but there's something much deeper. I'll say, no, no, no. Tell me about Jesus like you know your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister. You know. Yes. Don't tell me well, that they're a person. <laughs> how have you acted like Jesus? Have you, you know, yeah. have you taken yeah. that mantle? Have you visited the sick? Have you sacrificed? And um, that, that's another question I wanted to ask you. I feel like in today's world, you can blame a lot of things. I think it's easy to dish out blame, but with technology. I think with uh, the internet, I think also with kind of cell phones, uh, a thirst for stuff. There's a lot of consumerism, and not always a bad thing, but it seems to dominate. There's there's a lot mm. that is distracting us from the from the spiritual. And my question to you, as a faith leader, is how do we, and to a greater degree, how do you, as a priest, how do you fight that and try to remind people that hey, you know. TV's entertaining, and the Internet's great, and even music is fantastic, but service, prayer, charity, you know, faith, God forbid, picking up a book and reading certain passages. Yeah. How do we return to that without, as you said, Bible-thumping and, and uh, wagging our finger? I found what's, I mean, in my own life, I mean, I enjoy watching movies and, you know, whatever, all that. I mean, it's all... It's, it has its value, of course, but I, I know what you're speaking to. It's when we, uh, it's the only thing we do. Or it's, yes. it's, it's so consuming, you know, it's, and we can, uh, let it take over our lives. We're, we're constantly being, um, distracted, as you said, or filling up the spaces in our lives with noise, you know, new music. And like I remember, um, growing up, we, we didn't have cell phones or, you know, it sounded like I'm not long ago, but, um, the, when you were going for a car ride, you looked out the window. There was nothing else to do, or, or read a book. There were no TVs. There was nothing. And the Stone Age. Which, yeah, it sounds like it, right? But, um, <laughs> but those spaces in our lives, um, they're gifts. They're like the, the the rests or pauses in music. You know, it uh, gives us time to, with the intermission in a play or whatever, it gives us time to process. You know, to integrate. Um, I feel that sad uh, and bad, I guess, that a lot of our young people today are growing up without any spaces in their lives. Over, never mind just video games and, and media. But just, I, I enjoy sports, you know, as much as well, maybe not as much as the next person, but I, baseball, <laughs> football, whatever. Yep. But um, but that can dominate. It's like there people are over scheduled. It's stuck. There's no space, no room. Growing up, you know, my parents are pretty strict about you know Sunday is a family day. You know, whatever we're going to do as a family, it's this day. And we, we've lost 
we're losing or have lost our Sunday, which means family time. And so there's this, I think people discover on their own after a while, like, why am I, why do I feel so empty? You know, what's the, you know, a lot of people, the crisis is what's the meaning of my life? What's the point of uh, suicide rates? And I don't, I don't know the statistics, but in my own personal experience, there have been too many, you know, in my, yes. in my journey the last 20 years. And, um, it, it's just, um, if people are not being fed in terms of the spirit. So how do I handle it? I find work with it. Um, if I see a good movie, I'll take a line or, or reference a movie or I'll use the Lion King, for example, in, in retreats. And I think we can find value in it. Um, you're going to integrate it a bit or show how um, it should lead us. It can lead us to actually turn the television off or go out if it inspires us. A, a good movie can inspire like a a piece of artwork in, in a museum or a church. It's like, wow, it's amazing. True. Reflect on it and say, you know what? I'm going to go do that. <laughs> so I guess the question is when, you, when the movie shuts off or the electricity you know, goes out, now what? Now what? When do we come face to face with the reality of ourselves? You know, when do we come? And that's only found when we look face to face with Christ. And Jesus is our mirror. You know, God's our mirror. We only truly know our identity when we come face to face with the one who created us. And that's what prayer offers. So as a priest, I take advantage of the, the little time I have on Sunday when people come to Mass that hour, 45 minutes or whatever, to present that. You know, that, that space of an hour we come to be with God at Mass, to make that the best hour of the week, you know, by sharing the gift I have as a priest. Or when I'm in the classroom, you know, to be talking using the bible stories and lives of the saints to inspire our young people to say like wow you know or to talk about the people in our own lives uh, today's veterans day i'm talking to you you know who who live this you know who who put down all that and know there's something greater something deeper and we can only go ahead go ahead no please please continue no we can only do these things you know if we're connected uh through prayer we like we're aware of the, the spiritual life that um, that we have, that we're not just bodies. We're, we're, we're body souls, if you will, and flesh spirit. And that's even in, in the media that we talked about, you know, such as the music, the movies, such so-called distractions. I think people are drawn to, to the prayer aspect of things through that without even realizing mm-hmm. it. I mean, stories of soldiers, yeah. you know, in war, the word sacrifice seems to be an overarching theme in, in popular media. And I, I think what that is, is awakening kind of the real aspect of life within you. You're inspired by this fictional character's sense of self-sacrifice. Why? Well, because deep down when the lights go out, and everything, you know, the electricity goes off, as you said, and the TV turns off. We want a life of meaning. Mm-hmm. And what could be more yeah. meaningful than to lay down your your own life or to lay to sacrifice something of yourself to give to someone else? And I don't see it as much. And 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 I, I want to talk about our, uh, the church specifically. You know, in our last part of the segment here, I go to mass uh, every Sunday, um, and I've had gaps, of course, like anybody else. But when I go. There's a lot of good there, obviously. You know, there, there's the, there's the scripture, there's community, there's a sense of, of faith, of belonging, of we're in this together. Uh, you can feel God is present. However, I feel like the church itself has become unstuck in in time in this very half and half '60s folk music. Let's sing half the mass versus let's mumble through the other half. 
Not everyone's even shaking hands for the peace be with you. Sometimes the offerings are politicized. Let us pray for, you know, fill in the blank partisan political cause. I don't know. I mean, it could just be yeah. the few churches I've seen, but I see less people in the pews. Is that a problem? Is is the church's identity up in the air? And if so, how can we turn that around? You know, you know, I think that's on us. I think that's on us as priests. You know, not not entirely, but my point is, um, I, I learned to work within my sphere of influence. You know, um, that you know, the cardinal has a little about moving us around every twelve years and whatever it is as pastors and. Um, so I've learned you, you grow where you're planted and you make the best of whatever situation you're in, whatever, you know, you're, you know, under obedience. So where I'm going with all this is um, that's on me. In other words, if, you know, people aren't participating and say a mass or the words are mumbled or it's just poor, you know, then it's on, then it's on me as a priest on me as a pastor. In other words, what am I doing to inspire the people that have uh, been entrusted to my care as a shepherd, you know, um, in my, does it mean maybe I'm not doing a good job, enough job nourishing, you know, people with, you know, the gospel? In other words, if I'm not attentive to my own spiritual life and I don't, I'm not growing in my own faith. And I say growing because even the apostles was like, Lord, increase my faith. But I'm not caring for my own soul as far as that goes. I have nothing to give. <laughs> I, can, like, I can't give what I don't have. So I think a lot of it is on each of us as priests in our own formation. Just like I think parents um, with their children, similar priests with their, they say you know children are a reflection of the par- parents, you know you know give it give or take. I think it's similar. The um, you know the parishioners are a reflection of their pastor. Good I think analogy. That's interesting. You think it works? So it puts a lot on me. It's like like a, I think my my job is as important in one sense as a surgeon, you know, or or a doctor. If you're not up on your medicine and your skill, people are gonna die. You know, yes. then I think it's better. And I think similar as a doctor of the soul. It, Maybe you can even say it's more important in some ways. The you know, stakes I'm not are high. Attentive. The stakes much are higher. You talk about eternal life here and things yes. that are of far greater value. That's one piece of that. A big piece is that. But on the flip side, too, I mean, I could be a priest could be pouring out his very best and doing his best, you know, and, and that's what we give. And then there are some some things that, again, outside of our sphere of influence that, you know, are going to be bigger than, than me or as an individual. or and But that's not mine. In other words, I'm, I realized I'd love to solve these huge problems. I, I know as far as materialism and, you know, our secularism here today, trying to drive God right out of everything for the sake of being politically correct and all that garbage. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's sad. It's sad because it's taken away the food. <laughs> it's taken away the it's meat. Under it's taken away. We're under yeah. attack. Yeah, I feel that no, way as, as, as a Christian, yeah. a Catholic. I feel like our religion, our way of life, our belief in Christ, our belief in community and family, uh, sometimes over government or over secularism, and it's it's mocked, and we're like Christ persecuted. But I guess we can't be surprised, mm-hmm. right? That's in that's in the handbook. No, nope, should be surprised or discouraged because you know there was no greater persecution of the faith really when when Jesus was crucified two thousand years ago. And yeah. had a very small small band of brothers to. You know, as far as um, to keep up the Veterans Day theme here, you know, band of brothers with 12, you know, and one of them was a traitor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know, uh, that sold them out. And, and Yeah, so he wasn't discouraged. He and the Blessed Mother were hopeful. They were hopeful. And so in our time, 
you know, which is probably nothing in comparison to that particular day. But we are living Good Friday. It's not a separate event. Good Friday is a necessary, yes, it's one historical event that happened in time, of course. But it's, it spans all generations. The church, you know, um, represents in each one of us that Paschal mystery. So the what you're asking about and what we're discussing here today is Good Friday, you know, perpetually uh, living in and through each one of us. The, the church is the body of Christ and it still feels those wounds and afflictions and, you know, the scourging. It comes in many, many forms. Um, so it is one historical event that's represented and, and lived in every generation. Even St. Paul speaks to that. He says, we make up with lacking in the sufferings of Christ. And this is what that means. The cross must become presence in every generation. And, and we've lived in and through all of us as Christians. We make Christ visible in his cross. And the world is going to reject us too. Um, so, in a, But we're hopeful because we know that after every Good Friday, there's an Easter. And it circles right back around to what mm-hmm. you were talking about at the beginning. Um, when it comes to that God can turn something that is broken into something that has meaning and bring life. There's no greater tragedy that ever occurred or will ever occur in all of human history than when the Son of God, our very brother who came to save us, was crucified. And if God can turn that into an Easter, there's nothing he can't handle if we let him. If we let him. He's not an arm twister. And he asks our, his, our permission, God Almighty asks us, his creatures, <laughs> permission, to work in our lives so he can bring about his kingdom, which is not just a place, it's a way of living as well, you know, meaning peace. Back back to that friendship aspect of, you know, a, a deity that's all-powerful or, or thinks of us as ants would, wouldn't ask your permission. It would just crush us or brush us out of the way. Mm-hmm. But the fact that we think, therefore, we are, we can make decisions, we can pick A or B, that doesn't strike me as power that's given to you by an entity that hates you or doesn't think highly right. of you or love you enough to right. give you the option. And um, mm-hmm. I, I worry, though, because I, you are correct. The priests are our leaders. They're guiding us. And I want to ask you this, this you know, more, a little more serious question before I ask you a fun one to end our, our interview. But sure. what there's a shortage. Um, there's a pre-shortage, and it's, it's prayed about at every Mass. Uh, priests are begging for help. I notice a lot of South American priests and priests from India are being brought over to rotate to help bolster America. Mm-hmm. And um, I have to ask, it's one thing to pray for vocations and to hope to add to the ranks for doing that already. Um, is sure. it time to maybe start leaning on the lay people, increase their role somehow in the church, and hope that in the meantime that can help fill the gap until the numbers come back and surge? Or... Is sure. it more just, you know, a matter of taking it on faith and, and one foot in front of the other? Well, I, definitely both. Definitely both, for sure. Um, faith, um, you know, and, and the solution that you're proposing, which is actually not new, but um, we go together. The Vatican II, as I know you know, is you know, definitely um, spoke to exactly what you're talking about, which is, you know, kind of like a reminder, you know, of the fact that, hey, the lay people are just as much as part of the church as any bishop or pope. <laughs> in other words, I think, you know, the church grows in its understanding of truths that have always been present, but just kind of bringing more, like the unfolding you mentioned before, unfolding the reality of, hey, you know what, 
let's recognize the the indispensable value of every single member of the church, whether we're a mitre or not. You know, it, we all have an important role to play in the church. And so what the spirit of Vatican II is, let's maximize the potential of every single member of the church, whether an ordained priest or bishop, religious sister, missionary, lay person, let's live our baptismal call. And so now this is happening in a good number of parishes, thankfully. Um, sometimes maybe people see um, I, I discussion for the other day, but maybe some priests feel a little threatened with, oh my goodness, you know, I want lay people taking over. You know, um, that's not the case. It's we all have a gift to bring to the altar and in terms of building the kingdom. And so it's a wonderful thing where it becomes a family, where everybody recognizes the other's gift. In other words, the priest being the one who is the presence of Christ, the priest, who is able to um, change bread and wine to every body and blood of Christ, celebrate the sacraments of the church. Without the priest, there could be no Eucharist. And the lay people acknowledging that and saying, okay, now that we received the Eucharist, let us live the Eucharist by being catechists, ministers, um, stepping up to take on um, roles as far as becoming uh, ordained deacons, um, you know, living out the vocations, mother and father. In other words, parishes, thankfully, are, are thriving and flourishing who embrace um, that the fullness of that call, the, of that call to lay people and priesthood. So that's the things where it's at. And secondly, is the family, if a parish is strong that way and families are growing with this spirit, that's where vocations come from. It comes within the family where it's very open to talk about, hey, have you ever thought about being a priest? I wonder how many moms and dads, are, not blaming, but just wondering, you know, are thinking about asking their children to think about a vocation of the priest or religious life. It's you know, because if you're, if you have a parish that's thriving and it's a, a it's a, you call it an active parish, it's strong spiritual life, people being nourished. People let me think about it, like, wow, you know, I, I would love to, to do this or boy, I love my faith and, and et cetera and consider a vocation. So I think and as far as um the limited number of priests uh for uh, vocations go, um I think we can talk about it as priests and ask people and pray. Most importantly it's just each of us living the vocation, you know, being joyful priests, joyful priests. That's what it's all about. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's not so much what I say as a priest. It's it's what I live. I have to do much, actually, as far as that goes. Um, and I I just quote Cardinal O'Connor. He, he, I always looked up to him, um, especially when I was in the seminary. And we described him as kind of like the John Wayne of the the, the uh, of the um, the bishops, the John Wayne of the church, whatever. Because <laughs> great, he was great grounded. Comparison. Yeah, yeah. He came from blue collar. Um, Family, he knew what it meant to work and earn a dollar. Uh, he was in the, the uh, Navy, I think, four or five-star admiral, from correctly, and Bishop of Scranton, so I had a little connection there just in terms of the uh, University of Scranton. But he was my ordaining um, bishop. I was the last class ordained by him, actually. It was uh, answer to That's a prayer. That's right. I remember that. But he, yeah, it was an extraordinary day. But he spoke to us when we were seminarians. It was maybe a year or two into the seminary, the minor seminary. And he spoke to this issue that you're bringing up here. He said he wasn't worried about numbers in terms of priests, even at that time, of course, with such a shortage of vocations as is now. Let me actually rephrase that. The shortage of people responding to God's call to be priests. Um, he said he wasn't worried. He said, I just want a few good men. 
He said, and he talked, I forget who he was quoting, but he, this person said, if I had one or two people like St. Francis, I could, could have converted all of Russia, you know. <laughs> so well it's said. really not, yeah, I never forgot that. It was an impact. And I personally, you know, I, I like the challenge. I, I like the challenge of, you know what? I, I'd rather come into a parish or be in a situation where the chips are down, you know, they need someone to, you know, to really work and, and get the fire going. You know, that's what, I'm, that's what I signed up for. I don't want to be sitting around. No, you, you want know, to get in the um, game. You want to get absolutely. In the and there's a lot of work to be done. And my goal is to die with my boots on, as they say. You know, that's how I want to go down. Yeah. Why know? be an umpire when you can play ball? Yeah, I like that. That's good. Exactly. <laughs> I stole it. I stole it from a movie, but I'll, I'll give well, the, the citation. But hey, there you go. See, movies do carry a little bit of wisdom. I may use that in a homily someday. I'll give you credit if it works. Thank you. We can cite both of us. Well, I want to say, to wrap up, Father Tom, I, I've i always believed as a parishioner, as a Catholic, but just as a person, that I've always been inspired when someone else was there to inspire by example. And I also hinged a lot of my experience at Mass on what was said during the homily. Uh, that may be right, that may be wrong. You can still get a lot out of the Mass, the Eucharist, Jesus, and God. Absolutely, they're the number you know, one, two, and three things. But to me, I walked out of those homilies that you gave feeling so much better about my faith, about the world, about Christ, about myself, about my family, my fellow man, my fellow my brothers and sisters. And I want to thank you for that. You, you lived it. You inspired by example. You visited the sick. You visited me in the hospital. You taught me, my family. Always had your phone on, always ready with a kind word, uh, with your interpretation of things. And you did it calmly, and you did it with a strength that I've seldom seen in my entire life. And it's been an honor just to know you, and, and I thank you for continuing to fight for, for us and, and for our faith. Uh, you're welcome, Nick. And as I like to say, um, it's always a two-way street. That's how I see it. That's why this works for me, because I'm so conscious of not just – you give, but it's a two-way street. It's uh, the giving and receiving that goes on there. It's just in these moments, like even this podcast today, it's just uh, you know, just so aware of an exchange. You know, we both grow in this experience, and uh, that's been my experience with you over all these years. And uh, there's another thought I was going to throw in your direction, but I completely forgot what it was, so I may have to <laughs> go on to the uh, the next uh, podcast there. But um, We'll have to save it. But thanks for this opportunity. Yeah, we'll have to save it. Forget what it was. But anyway, maybe the Holy Spirit's like, not today. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to kick the can down the road for next time. We need some material for the next segment. But uh, There you go. But, but amen. And, and that's the good word from the man in black, Father Tom Burns. We're going to have to have you back on. I think we could do five podcasts and we still wouldn't scratch the surface. But um, keep the faith. I would love that. Please keep preaching it because we need more men like you out there. And um, I'm, I'm glad to just have known you. Likewise, Nick. Thanks for what you're doing. We'll talk Thank to you, you soon, all right? I appreciate it. We'll have you back on soon. God bless. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Welcome back. Welcome back. So that there was the one, the only, Father Tom Burns, a truly amazing man. And as you can tell, you know, humble as the day is long, would never credit himself as being a great man. And I find that those are the best people. The ones that don't need the adulation and the praise, 
to be who they are. Because deep down, they're just inherently good. And that's who he is. He's, he's always been that way. And I think he'll continue to be that way until the day he dies. And his spirit will carry on and his lessons and his life force will inspire hundreds more to continue on in his footsteps, myself included. That is, if I outlive him, we'll see who goes first at this point. I don't know who's got the more stressful job these days, but I'd bet him, but but I'm definitely right behind him. But my thoughts on this episode. This episode is unique. And it's unique because it deals directly with faith. We're going to deal with spirituality in a lot of these episodes. It's going to come up. We want to get to the bigger questions. I said that in our preview episode. Our our plan here is to get life wisdom. Because it's hard out there. With just Google and Hollywood as your reference points when you're looking for answers to things, they don't always have the answers. I mean, at least they don't always have the best or the right answers. We need to look to the people that are the best at what they do. And this man, as far as spirituality, Christianity, and faith leadership goes, there's nobody better. And what he said was, he had to let go. He had to allow for the possibility and and for the likelihood that something bigger was out there steering his life and his decisions. And that even though he could say no and change the path of his destiny, he felt inherently in his bones that there was a specific place for him. That there was a job that he was put here to do. I think we've all felt that way at least once in our lives, that we're here to do a job and that we're not leaving until we do it. I know I feel that way. Now, the fun part of the ending here is I put myself in the guest shoes and I say, well, what would Jeeves do? Well, it's funny in this scenario because I actually had thought for a very long time about being a priest. Father Tom actually got me a meeting at the seminary he attended, St. Joseph's, uh, Dunwoody, what some have called the West Point of seminaries. And they were so convinced that I would make a good priest, and they were so high on Father Tom's recommendation that they were ready to accept me right then and there. Now, for various reasons that maybe we'll get into down the line in this show, I, I said no. I became a reporter and worked in politics first, and then I did reporting and, and journalism, and the rest is history. I'm here today talking to you fine people. But when it came to surrendering to God, it's not easy. I would recommend it. I think that what Father Tom said is true. I think that allowing humility and grace and patience to drive your life and your destiny is it's the better way it is not the easier way i wouldn't automatically preach to people that it's time for you to give up to a higher power and what it, you know what happens happens i have a lot of trouble with that myself it's difficult especially for those out there 
who like me believe in God and and, and you know are, have faith, it's hard to turn over the keys to the car and say, "Go, drive, take me wherever you want me to go." Because what if that destination is not where you want to go? What if it just ends up being harder, more difficult, sadder than you expected? Now, not only are you going through adversity, but you you signed up for it. You said, go, take me. That takes courage. Now, what I have, I don't think the question is what I have become a priest, because obviously what would Jeeves do? Well, Jeeves would go interview at the seminary and then go become a journalist. But when it comes to the prayer aspect of it, when it comes to making a decision of that magnitude, how would I prep for it? I absolutely agree with, with Father Burns and his approach to it. There's a freedom in letting go. And it's hard. A lot of people, a lot of people, you'd be surprised, have difficulty letting go of things. Whether it be fear, anger, a grudge, a painful memory, a loved one, a relationship. It's not always letting go of the bad things that's the hard part. It can be just as hard to let go of something good. Just as much of a struggle. And how do we overcome that? How do we find ways to let go? I think it begins with trust. Not only trusting in God, but in each other. And, and I, I want to quote uh, a film that was written by Stephen King. It's called Storm of the Century. And he wrote it, I believe, for the screen as a miniseries on TV. And at one point, the townspeople are faced with a difficult decision. I think I maybe even quoted this in the preview episode or the episode prior to this, but it's important. It's a good quote. They're deciding what to do at a very pivotal point in the plot, and they're in the church hall, and the main character, everyone's asking, what do we do, what do we do? And the main character stands up and he says, we do what it says over the door that we use to come into this place. We trust in God, and in each other. If we trust that God will put people in our life to soften the blow, to show us the way, to illuminate the path when it gets dark, then it works. You feel connected. You feel, you feel like you're flowing through a river. I can speak from experience. It it feels right. You feel like you've, you've found your place in the world. But if we hold on and we, we fight and we say, no, I want to do it my way, or I'm angry at God, or there is no God, or I'm in charge here, I'm behind the wheel, I say what goes, it's over when I say it's over, that seldom ends well. That seldom ends well. Even the biggest atheist will tell you humility is paramount. Bill Maher, Bill Maher, huge atheist, doesn't talk about God a lot, but yet he's discussed the idea of being humble, recognizing that we don't have all the answers, and that sometimes when we think the compass says north, it's actually pointing south. And the other part that Father Tom brought up that I want to mention is getting involved in your faith. 
being of service, just being present. Not just in other people's lives, but being present with, with Jesus or God or even whatever deity you may pray to or worship. Knowing that whatever the creator is, the, the prime mover, the clockmaker, if you will, I think we have to recognize that we have to have a relationship with that entity as if it is our friend. And trust me, if you're going to stipulate that something created us, then you have to recognize that that, that creator doesn't hate us. If anything, you know, there, there has to be love there. How can you explain the good of this world, the good of existence? And I would agree with him that we need to take a more human approach to our relationship with God. Understand that God is part human and that we, by that virtue, have pieces of God imprinted on us. We are connected, bound together by this invisible thread that not a lot of us recognize or take time to appreciate. I don't have all the answers. Hell, I don't even have 10% of the answers. But I do know that without the peace and serenity that came with my faith and the guidance that I got from Pastor Burns, I, I wouldn't have made it. I would have given up at mile marker 10 way back on the road and I would have said, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this on my own. But that wasn't the case. Luckily, I thought I was stranded, but I wasn't. The tide came in, blew me a life preserver, and I've been back in the game ever since. So know that there is there is truly there's truth in the idea of the power of one. What one man, what woman, one person of faith can do to send out a ripple effect that not only changes lives but the fabric of humanity. And Father Tom is one of those people. I highly recommend going out and seeking out those other people of faith that like Father Tom. They exist. They're there. There are good spiritual leaders. There are good people out there. And they have good things to say. Father Tom said that it was on the clergy to save the church and that it's, it's lack of identity and it's duality and it's dwindling numbers, that it, it lies primarily with the priests and the padres. And to an extent, he's right. To a certain point, you know, the buck does stop with them. But I encourage you, the listeners, the lay people, to take back your faith. And it's not just in Catholicism or Christianity. You can sense, anecdotally speaking, I don't have numbers to back this up, but you can sense a shift away from religion towards secularism. The word God is almost shameful to say for fear of offending people. Or people don't want to think about mortality and death, and religion centers a lot on mortality and death. Well, let me, spoiler alert, we're all in this together, and none of us are making it out alive. So it is incumbent upon us, the onus is on us, as well, to go out and not only follow spiritual leaders who have 
shown that they can be a good example to follow, but to live a more excellent way in our own lives. To understand that it might be your example that inspires someone to dig themselves out of a hole and turn their life around. And you may never even meet them. Your outward appearance, the energy you project, the smile you give someone, the humor that you bring, all of that can change lives in this world for the better. And you may never even know till the very end, till it's all over. But when they add up the numbers and they, the balance sheet reads, well, you lived a good life. You sent out positive vibes. You, you, you saved others. And what is a more beautiful thing than camaraderie and sacrifice in the name of, of peace and, and justice and, and love? And that's what our guest embodied, and, and that's what I would recommend that we try to do going forward. Emulate Christ. Be a peacemaker. Bring happiness and joy to the dark corners and bring your troubles to God. Bring those tough choices. The, absorb the weight of those choices, but don't do it alone. Try to spend the rest of your life living up to them, but know that you have a partner in Jesus. Know that you have a partner in our friend, Father Tom. And you always have a friend in Jesus. <laughs>